let you just remain seated as we uh, get started today. Welcome our guest, and uh, happy that you're here. Looking forward to school starting back to Monday, I think. Yeah, tomorrow, right? Amen. I mean, that way you, you got to quit your vacation and you got to come back to church, hardly. Amen. Welcome all those watching us on Facebook, Jennifer. Happy anniversary. Love you guys. Um, today, I want us to uh, talk about the incarnation. How many knows what that word means? It means when God became flesh. Uh, and uh, it's the key to everything. And I'm, in, I'm entitling this the end of the incarnation. How, how many knows it's not the outcarnation? It's the incarnation. And uh, most of us, probably in this room, uh, started our Christian journey, or our spiritual journey, probably, would be better to say, assuming that God is up there and that we're down here. How many had that understanding when you kind of first started it? All of us. Um, and if you believe that, which I did, that's what I was told, uh, if you start with that premise and you believe that God's up there, we're down here, uh, and we're separated from him, then that is the birthplace of religion. And then it's just up to men to come up with a way for us to get up there, and then they prescribe a way, a method, methodology, rules, regulations, doctrines, and all that stuff of men, and they tell you in order to get up there, you got to do what they say. And if you do that, you're in. If you don't do that, you're out. And um, we spend so much time, and I did, we spend so much time and energy uh, trying to get up there that we miss God's big leap in Jesus Christ where God came here. Um, most, most, much of our worship, our uh, effort is is the spiritual equivalent of something I saw on YouTube the other day, and that is a person trying to walk up the down escalator. Y'all, how many have been on these escalators? Now, I know some of these malls I've been to, they'll have the up escalator here, and then about a mile away will be the down, no, not a, but a good hundred, sometimes more than that, seems like a hundred yards away on the other end of the mall will be the, the up escalator. And it was kind of funny, I was watching this YouTube video, and this guy, uh, he saw his wife, she uh, got his attention and let, you know, let him know that she was up there on the second floor of the mall where they were, and, and uh, right as she was standing at the top, she was at the top of the down escalator that's coming down. And he knew the other one was 100 yards back that way. He didn't want to let, you know, go walk all the way back down there to get on the floor she was shopping on to rejoin her. So he jumped on the down escalator and he went at it. And he's just gonna whoop that thing and get up there where she is and take a shortcut. I mean, knows he didn't make it. <laughs> and it was funny trying to watch him make it. He did make it halfway, I will give the brother that. He got halfway. And then finally, it was so funny, he just finally just gave up and just put his arms by his side and he'd just come right back down to the bottom. And, you, and then the video ended as he walked off. I guess he was headed back to the other end. To, uh, to stop that. And when I watched that, I thought, you know, that's the way it is with a lot of us in our journey with the Lord. We're, we're thinking he's up there, and we're trying as hard as we can, but the escalator's coming this way. It's not, you know, for we so tried to get God to like us that, that we, you know, made and scratched and clawed our way into heaven, but God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. And God became us so that he could save us. And then comes the question of when actually did he save us? I remember growing up in church and we was always trying to, to get God to do something as if he had left things incomplete and unfinished when Jesus, who is God, said from the cross, it is finished. He didn't say it's almost finished, it's about to be finished, I'm close to finishing it. He said it is finished. And you either believe that or you don't. Now, our church that I grew up in, and I mean no despairing about this, it's just the way it was, and you might can relate to it. We was always trying to poke a hole in the heavens to get the heavens to open up for us. We wanted the Lord to pour out the bucket, you know. 
And so we would pray prayers like, Lord, give us an open heaven, open to heavens, O Lord, that you know, your spirit may, and all that kind of prayers. And they are ridiculous prayers. I didn't know it back when I was praying them. Uh, you know, we don't need the Lord to open the heavens. He already has. And uh, if you need a lot of scripture, there's a lot of it. But Revelation says that John said, I saw a door, not a window, but I saw a door standing open in heaven. It's standing open because the door's Jesus and he's never closed it and never will. The Bible says the kingdom of God in the last two chapters of Revelation, it says the gates of that kingdom will never be shut. They are not, never. And, um, and so, but we spent a lot of time praying that the Lord would open what was already open. It's called busy work and religion. Uh, I spent, you know, hours, weeks, fasting and praying for the anointing. I thought the anointing was something that come and went. Oh, that, you know, anoint me today, or that guy wasn't anointed. Or, and the Apostle Paul in your New Testament Bible tells us over and over for the anointing that you already have received. You, you don't get it, you already got it, and it was a gift. And you can't have Jesus without the anointing because he's the anointed one. You, if you got Jesus, how are you not anointed? When his name means the anointed one. But I was ignorant of that, and I spent a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to be anointed when I should have just been like I do now. Lord, I thank you that the anointing is within me and it's a gift. All I pray now is, Lord, help me to yield to that anointing. Help me just to yield to it. And then we'd spend just, and I can name thing after thing where we would spend so much time. We would pray for the mind of Christ. Oh, God, give us the mind of Christ. The Bible never had anybody ever pray in that. The Apostle Paul said, you already have the mind of Christ. But we have it. I don't mean you use it, but you have it. And the Bible says clearly we can be double-minded. And you can't be double anything unless you got two of something. So you have a natural mind, you know, and then you have the, the mind of Christ. It's up to you which computer system you access, right? Uh, so we did a lot of effort. Uh, and, and really, it's not about our effort, thank God. There's been a lot said already by the, the, the praise team about it. It's not about us climbing up and performing. It's much more about surrender to God and, and unlearning. Now, I don't tell these guys what to sing. I have that privilege if I choose to exercise it. I don't, uh, and except on a rare occasion. But I noticed the first song right out the gate today was talking about unlearning. And it's right here in my notes. <laughs> And that's, I wanted to talk to you. And, and sometimes it's difficult for people to unlearn what they think they already know. And I have spent my Christian life unlearning much of what I was taught, much of what I uh, believed. And I believed it ferociously and defended it ferociously. And many of those things I do not no longer believe in. To some people that makes me a heretic. No, to some people it makes me human. And a, and a person that didn't arrive 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago, but who is a person who is still learning and growing in the faith and grace and wisdom of Jesus Christ. That's why I wrote a book five, six, seven years ago, however long it was, uh, exposing myths heard in church. And I only talked about in that book about myths. It's a myth, things that, we, that I heard in church that are not true. But you can hear something often enough, long enough, and somebody hollering it loud enough, you'll think it's true. But it's not. And so if you want to see a biblical example of somebody that thought they knew everything about God as far as doctrine and, and so forth, but, but this person had to unlearn what they thought they knew. And, and this is not some marginal person. This is one of the 12 apostles who was personally called to be an apostle by the Lord Jesus himself. And you may already figured out that his name is Peter. And he is an eyewitness to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection. He's an apostle that needed to be restored. Uh, in his own mind, he thought he was done for uh, after he denied even knowing Jesus before the crucifixion. Uh, he's an apostle that had a personal, private visit by the Lord Jesus Christ after Jesus' resurrection. He also had a very public, at least with the other apostles, visitation of Jesus 
on the shores of Galilee fishing one morning. And uh, when Jesus said, children, do you, have you caught anything? And John recognized it was the Lord and Peter dove out of the boat. And uh, they established how much God loved him. This, this is that apostle. He's the one that walked on water. Uh, don't forget, I know he sunk a little bit, but he still walked. How many of you have walked? I've tried it. It don't work too good. And Peter was confident in his, in his knowledge of God. He had seen Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. He, he had seen so many miracles. He had seen the dead raised. He'd been right there. He was involved. He spent three and a half years in close proximity uh, constantly with the Lord Jesus himself. And he knew about God and about Jesus and about what Jesus wanted, he thought. Uh, he knew God's final word. Uh, he knew the law of God. And uh, he heard Jesus give the great commission, and the great commission was go into all the world, to every nation, and preach the gospel. He heard that, but he didn't do that. G uh, Peter was only focused on the Jewish people, and he was an exclusionist. In other words, he excluded people that were non-Jewish, Gentiles, which makes up the majority of the world. And so if you were not a Jew, Peter didn't think you were in. Peter thought you're out. You're not in, you're out, and, and you're going to stay out because God don't want you in. And that God wanted only the Jews. And, and that was Peter's mindset after seeing in, in all the things that, that God did, he still had not gotten what God was doing in that season. And, and that was uh, sending them to, to, to the world, to, to every person. And, uh, and so... We've got a picture, and I'm not going to, I don't have the time to, to go there and read it, but they believe that Luke, uh, who wrote the book of Luke, they believe he wrote the book of Acts. Uh, somebody did, so. But in the book of Acts, the 10th chapter, we have the story of a Gentile a centurion, Roman soldier, uh, who is considered, he's not even saved. He don't know anything about Jesus. He has no record, you know, he doesn't know about Jesus. And, and yet this man is, is recorded in Scripture to have a viable, fantastic relationship with God the Father. And he don't know nothing about Jesus. Uh, it says that in the Bible, that he is a devout man. He is one that prays often. He, has, he, 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 he is known for his uh, lifestyle of devotion to not a God, not a God of his own imagination, but to the God of Israel, to the God of Abraham. And the Jews recognize that. He's known for his almsgiving, giving to the poor. And it says in the Bible that God took record, it said that God heard his prayers, God answered his prayers, and that God had established a memorial of some type in heaven Concerning this man's almsgiving, God has this man on his radar. God knows what this Gentile is up to. And God says he's accepted by me. He's clean by me. I declared him righteous. And he don't even know Jesus. Now hang on. And, and it's in the book. And it's not only in the Bible, and it takes up the whole 10th chapter of Acts. And then Peter's called on the carpet, so to speak, to those at Jerusalem about it. And it repeats the whole story again in the next chapter of Acts 11. And Peter gives his own testimony and repeats the story and the occurrence word for word. That's amazing. And, and, and so here is this man who gets such revelation from God that God speaks to him. He hears God. God tells him to send for an apostle named uh, Peter. You'll find him at the house of Simon, the tanner. God gives him addresses. That's pretty specific prophecy. To, given to a Gentile who ain't even saved, according to the church of that day. He's not in. They consider him out because he ain't prayed the magic prayer yet to get in. So they say he's out, but God says he's in. Apparently God thinks he's in because God's talking to him. God gives him prophetic revelation that's so detailed 
God's never told me to send to a certain town, to a certain street, to a man's house. He'll be Simon the Tanner, you know, and told me go call for a man and he'll come and tell you everything you need to know. Now, the reason God's telling Cornelius to do this is because there's something that God wants Cornelius to know. And what God wants him to know is about Jesus. But not because he's not saved. Not because, you know, that he don't have a relationship with Abba, with Father. He does. And he is. But there's a reason that God wants him to go call for Simon Peter to come. So Peter's there at this house. It's the sixth hour of the day, which is three o'clock in the afternoon. He decides to go on the rooftop and take a nap. He was waiting on them to have supper ready. That's what it says, right? He goes into a trance. He has a vision. In the vision, he sees a four-cornered sheet lowered down. The voice of God says to him, and on this, on this sheet, it's all symbolic, but he sees uh, all kind of creeping things and four-footed beasts and all kind of animals that the Jews would consider to be unclean. Let me change it. We're not talking about animals and we ain't talking about shrimp and lobster and what you can eat and can't eat. We're talking about men. We're talking about men, people. And so it's full of all kind of people, Gentiles. And God says to him in the vision, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And he says to God, now remember, this apostle thinks he knows everything. And see, these are the hardest people to convert, so to speak, in their, in the word, what, I should say repent, because the word repent means to think differently. So we got to start thinking differently. I want to tell you what's going on right now in the world, in my opinion. The, four, the, the sheet's being lowered again right now to this world. And God's already done this in the first century church, but it's, the sheet is being lowered right now and being declared by preachers and prophets and pastors and teachers all over this world. And God is saying the same thing. Stop calling people unclean that I've cleansed. That was the bottom line, punchline of the whole thing. God tells Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Peter says, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unclean and not about to start now. And God's like, he didn't get it, guys, play it again. And they hit play on it again, and they showed him the video a second time. And then God says again, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Not so, Lord. You know. And so God's like, he didn't get it. Play it again. And the third time. Now, I've got patience because God has patience. And, and sometimes you've got to hear something more than one time. Now, there's people that will come to church here. They'll hear me say something that goes totally against their, their tradition, what they've heard. They think they know it. And there's an arrogance to think you know everything. And especially for people that will be sitting in a church of any church, this church or any church, who don't even read your Bible, and I've spent my life in it. I don't mean that arrogantly, but I'm talking about I see people get up, slam the Bible that they don't even read, and leave because I said something that their grandmama don't believe in or something. And that breaks my heart. Here's Peter thinks he knows everything, and if anybody should know everything, Peter should know everything. I mean, he's one of the twelve. But he don't know everything, and he's just to get a wake-up call. And so God shows him the video the third time, and he says, right, and, and, and God tells him, do not call, and he's talking about people, and, and when he explains the story, he, Peter changes it from animals. He said, I, I perceive, when he got to Cornelius' house, he said, I perceive that God is no respecter of person, and God commands us not to call any man, any man, it says, unclean, which God, listen, has cleansed. How has God cleansed men that don't even know his, who Jesus is? Because the Lamb took away the sin of the world. Now, he, either he did or he didn't. But I believe he did because John said he did. And the Bible says he did. He's the Lamb of God that not will take it away if you'll pray the magic prayer, but he's the Lamb that took away the sin of the world. See, that's different than most of what you hear. See, we read stuff like Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, and I'm absolutely thrilled about Romans 10, and I'm, you know, I'm really for the whole Bible. Put me down for it. But in Romans 10, you know, it, it, a lot of people say, well, it tells you how to get saved. One thing it don't tell you is nothing about sin, and the word sin's not mentioned. That's interesting, because that ain't how the church does it. Somebody shows up at the church, they said, you're separated, you're out, 
uh, we, we want to help you get in. We know how to get in. We got the key to get in, and we got the prayer to get in. We call it the sinner's prayer, which ain't in the Bible, by the way. But so but here now we've invented something that's not even in the Bible that nobody ever did in the Bible. Nobody ever said pray the sinner's prayer because they ain't one. You see right here is where people, okay, well, they want to get, you know, okay, I'm mad because I know, because you, you, you was raised on that, them drugs. It's called religion. I'm going to have to get off of them. Now, now, there is a man in the Bible that we get to see come to the awakening of his salvation, and he's, he's the Philippian jailer, and, and he sees a great move of God. I don't want to tell the whole story. I ain't got time. But he asked the specific question, Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul did not say, bow your head, close your eyes, repeat after me. Paul did not say, say the sinner's prayer. Paul did not say even the word sin to the man. Because why, why, why would the great apostle, he don't know how to get people saved? American church can't even talk to people about getting saved without saying the word sin. Because they're just, they're, they're thrilled about it, mesmerized by it. They're drunk on it. Why don't we need to talk about it? Because you talking about it just makes them sin more. It's what Romans says. And, and, and God took it away. It's not an issue. The issue is they're not awakened to the fact of what God's done on that cross. That's what you need to And the man said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe what? Believe that he's already saved you. Believe that he's already done it. Now somebody says, you know, they'll use terminology like before Christ. Like when did your spiritual journey begin? Well, it began in 19 blah, blah, when I prayed the prayer. No, it didn't. You, there is really, now you, you, you got to listen to me now. and Don't get mad at me, just let me say it. Okay? It's okay, put, put your gun back in your pocket. There's no such, there's no, no human that predates Christ. So in reality, there's no such thing as before Christ. Now, if you need biblical proof, and I sense some do, <laughs> you can go to Ephesians chapter 1, and it says, Glory to God, blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ, who before the foundation of the world chose us in Him. You were chosen, they sung about it today, you were chosen in Him. Not just by Him, you were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. That phrase, in Christ, is Paul's favorite phrase. He uses it 164 times in his epistles. He uses the phrase, in Christ, more than anything else. There's nothing that comes close to his use of in Christ. And he spends his whole totality of his epistles trying to get the church to know that you're already in Christ. Why is Paul such an adamant uh, pushing that? Because he came to that revelation. He, you know, and, and in Galatians, Paul says that when it pleased the Lord to separate me from my mother's womb, who revealed Christ in me, not to me. See, we're trying to reveal Christ to people, and you're not going to get them to, to respond to Christ to them until you first let them recognize that Christ is in them. And God, it's not your yes to God. Yet we need to say yes to the Lord. Right? We need, I'm not saying it don't, I'm not saying it don't matter. Oh, God. I'm saying it's important for you and I to say a yes to God. But your yes don't predate His yes. And it's not our yes that started the journey of our salvation. It was, it was Jesus' yes that he said before time began in the councils of Almighty God. When Jesus said yes to the Father, yes, I will go, I will become man, yes. And that's where God chose, and that's what Paul's trying to say. Before the foundation of the world, God said yes to your inclusion. In Him. Now I got them, I got the verses, 
And if it bugs you, you can come up and catch me out serving. I'll give everyone. I can give them to you. I, I've got verse after verse that says in your New Testament that we are in him, in him. You're already in him. You need to read Romans 5 while you were yet a sinner. While you were, while you were an enemy of God, God saved you. Well, that means, no, I ain't know what it means is what it says. Says what it says means what it says. When did God do that before the foundation of the world? Now, see, people don't know that. That's why we preach Jesus to him. So people don't know it. Cornelius didn't know it. But Cornelius didn't get, get in apart from and without Jesus. Because Cornelius don't predate Jesus. Cornelius don't, don't have anything before Christ because Christ chose Cornelius and you before the foundation of the world. Now you, you, I know it's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. It's, it's called good news. And it kind of goes against, you know, we, okay, come down by your head, you know, confess your sins. And, you know, Lord, I come to you as a sinner, and I'm in need of a Savior, and I'm sorry for all the wrong I've done and all the bad I've done. Please forgive me all my sin. And I confess you with Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I confess you with my mouth and believe in my heart, and therefore I am saved. Boom! I just got saved. No, you didn't. You might have just woke up to your being chosen. And I want to say that if you read Romans 10 by itself out of context, you will think that that's talking about in and out, and this is how you get in, and if you don't do it just like this, you're not in. It leaves no room for people that, like I watched my dad, of course, he had already you know, made his yes to Jesus long before the dementia started creeping in on his mind. But my dad, I was, he, he didn't even know hardly where he was. Horrible to watch that Louis body dementia destroy the man that I knew. But what about people that that overtakes them and they don't even, they've never prayed the prayer. Are you saying they're just doomed? What about little babies get born, live three days, die? They didn't say no sinner's prayer. You got to stay consistent with your dumb religion. You can't apply it for some and not for others just because it, you know, it don't. It, it's hard to swallow. So if you say the only way you get in is saying a prayer, then them babies are doomed. So you don't like that. You don't like that part. You want to bow on that. Well, let's just bow and throw that stuff out. What Paul's doing in Romans ten, if you read starting in Romans nine. I'd actually start in Romans 1, but in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul's trying to convince his Jewish brethren, and he says, I want all of Israel, He's, and actually he says all of Israel shall be saved. And that's my desire, because it's God's desire that not any should perish, all should repent. And, and he's trying to convince them that if anybody calls on them the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And what he's trying to tell them, Jews who are rebelling against the Gentiles coming in, is that all that call on the name of the Lord, he said, shall be saved. Then Paul goes on to say, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no male, there is no female, but we're already on one in, and we're in Christ Jesus. It's mind-blowing. But see, when you and I have read the Bible with this separatist, we were, that we've been told we were separated from God, and, and that's just simply not true. There's only one verse in the entirety of the 66 books of the Bible that seems to even allude to the fact, which is not a fact at all, that we're separated from God by our sin. Preachers tell you you are, but you ain't. Oh, God's so holy, he can't look at sin. How many's ever heard a preacher say that lie? God's so holy, he can't look at sin. I mean, I want to see the hands. How many people's heard a preacher say, God's so holy, he can't look at sin? When he said that, he lied. Now, I don't mean he did it intention. And this preacher holding the mic, I said that in my early days of ignorance. Because they said it must be true. So I repeated it. But it's not in the Bible. Okay, real quick point. And you know where I'm going, because if you come here, uh, did Adam and Eve sin in the garden? Yes or no? Did they sin? Okay, so God never came back after they sinned. Oh, he showed back up even after they sinned? Did he hang out with them? Did he talk to them? Whoa, apparently God can look at sinners. Did Cain murder Abel? Is murder a sin? Did, Cain, did, did God go and talk to Cain? Did God, did God love on the murderer? 
Did God make provision for the murderer? Did God say, I'm going to protect you? Apparently he can look at sin. Uh, and don't miss this little caveat. Jesus is God in the flesh, right? Emmanuel. Did Jesus, who is God, hang out with sinners? Did he eat with sinners? Did he fellowship with them? Apparently God can look at sin. Apparently the preachers had all that wrong. They did. We did. And on behalf of every preacher in our ignorance, I sincerely, no joking, apologize for our ignorance and our blindness and for what religion did to us, and we in turn did it to you. Forgive us. We know not what we did. But now that I know the song sung it this morning, thank God I was wrong about you. Whew, thank God I was wrong now, if, if that was God saying, what I loaded your gun with today, pull them triggers, brother. And here they come and sung that first song. And it's talking about unlearning. And thank God I was wrong about you. And I said, thank you, Holy Spirit. I'll do my best to do it. Cornelius didn't even know the name of the Messiah. He wasn't Jew. He was Gentile. He, but he had a real viable, fantastic relationship with God. Because God says, you're already clean. God says, do not call men unclean, which I have, past tense, cleansed. He, God does not say in this vision, do not call men unclean that I'm able to clean. Or that I will clean if they say the magic prayer. Or if they do ABCD of religion. God says, don't you call any man unclean that I've cleansed, already cleansed. When did God cleanse them? Before the foundation of the world, the Lamb, Jesus was the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. Me and you are stuck on with a watch on our wrist, but God don't wear a watch. Not even an Apple watch. Orange watch, banana watch, any other kind of watch. God don't wear one. And there'll be a day that you won't. And the day you take off your watch is the day that you will never grow old. You can't grow old without a watch. It's the day that no disease will ever take your life. Because no disease is powerful enough to just go boom, boom, you dead. It has to have that added thing called time. Time shall be no more. And eternity, which has always been, will be. Eternal life for me does not start when I prayed the prayer. Eternal life for me is when I recognize the eternal one, and that's Christ. And so Cornelius has this relationship. He sends Peter comes. Four corner sheet comes down, plays it three times. Peter is mind blown that God is doing this in this season. And I want to tell you with all of my heart, that, that, and I wrote it down, this is what I believe I heard. The blanket is coming down again. And you will be as shocked as Peter because you know my word. You will say, but Lord, you do not change, which is true. But I reserve the right to change you, to change your heart and your eyes and how you see my plans for this season. I believe I heard the Lord say that to me. It's not like I'm shockproof. God says, you're just going to be shocked. And I've already been shocked. I've had the religion shocked out of me in these last decade or so. I'm sure that there's still areas that God's working on. I know they are. But Peter told him in Acts 10, 28, he said, you know, he's talking to Cornelius, he said, you know it's unlawful for any Jewish man to keep company with or go into one of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And then over in the 11th chapter, when he's repeating it again, he says the same thing. It says, God says, don't call anybody. And he's, he's, given, he's having to respond to the religious hierarchy at Jerusalem because they're really upset with him. And he's kind of like we call in America, getting caught on the carpet. Oh, yeah, he's getting, he, he's getting caught on the carpet. But when he explains it to them, you would think now after that 
This is a powerful experience. You would think Peter would never again have any problem with, it's really a prejudice. It's really a, well, I'm in, you're out. And we love that I'm in and you're out, our church is in. I remember, I'm ashamed about it, but I remember growing up in Pentecostal church, and I remember that I look back on it now, okay? I didn't see it then, but I really felt sorry for everybody that didn't come to, you know, to our church, to our denomination. I really did, because I felt like we, we the elite, we know, y'all don't know, and I ain't sure any of y'all going no how. And I know a bunch of y'all ain't going because I'd leave my church going to, you know, to the buffet line. And I'd ride by your church stepping out on the front steps. And I'd see all these smokers out there. And I know they wasn't going because my church said if you smoke, you, you couldn't go. Wouldn't be no Marlboros going to heaven. And so I knew, I look, I, man, I'm, I'm sincere. I'm sincere. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a funny. I'm, I'm sincerely, I, I'm sincerely, I would look at those people and I'd say, I feel sorry for them because they're so deceived. They, they think they can smoke a cigarette and still go to heaven and, you know, praise Jesus and all. God bless them. You know, I reckon when they, you know, splash down, they'll figure it out that it didn't work. I don't know. And I had such a pride, which is pride and arrogance, that God could be boxed in our Pentecostal denomination, even though it was a worldwide denomination, but still, come on. You think you can, you can, you think you can wrangle God up and he just fits right into your religious... <laughs> you got to remember this. This always makes people mad. I don't mean that. I just mean to shock the religion out of it. God's not a man. God's not a woman. God is spirit. Right? John 4. But God's not Baptist. God's not Methodist. He's not against Baptist and Methodist. God's for everybody. He's for you. We sung it today. God's for you. But God's not a Baptist. God's not a Methodist. God's not Pentecostal, charismatic. Sorry. God's not any of those religions. And this one really bothers people. God's not a Christian. Christianity is a world religion. God's not a Christian. Jesus didn't leave heaven to come to earth to start a religion called Christianity. I know you think there is, but there's absolutely no, there's zero command in Scripture anywhere that says that you should call each other Christians. It's not in the Bible. And you think it is, and you're trying to recall it right now. And you say, well, they, the Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. Yeah, that was a derogatory racial slur term. And that's why they cried about it. And they went to Paul and said, they're calling us Christians which means baby Jesuses. That's what it meant when they first said it. And Paul said, if any man suffers as a Christian, let him do it like a good soldier. In other words, shut up and get on out of here. Don't worry about them calling you names. <laughs> when Paul stood before King Agrippa, King Felix, and, and, and he, he got arrogant, Paul gave his testimony, Damascus Road just happened, great light shone, boom, I hit the ground, you know, and I saw the Lord. It was the Messiah himself, and he talked to me. And, he, and he revealed Christ in me, and he shared his testimony. And that wicked king sits there with arrogance and, and mockery out of his voice and said, Paul, do you think that now you can persuade me to be a Christian? <laughs> Paul didn't say, yeah, would you bow your head, close your eyes, so we can do the sinner's prayer? <laughs> boy, if, if, I could, you know, if I could tell him I got the king Agrippa saved, boy, that'd be a notch on my belt. I'd be some kind of evangelist. Paul didn't even comment on the word Christian. When King Agrippa he said, he said, I pray that you would be like me, minus these chains. What was Paul saying? I pray you would have your own revelation that Christ is in you, and he's the hope of glory. And, amen. Praise him. Now, so, so, Cornelius is an amazing example. But okay, so let's 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 wind it up with this. Then why, if he already has his relationship, which is proven, he has a tremendous relationship with God. He's on God's radar. God's done built a memorial of some kind in heaven for him, for his almsgiving. Why even bother the brother? Just leave him on like he's doing good on his own. Don't mess it up with bringing Jesus in on it, huh? No, but God said. Go call for him because he's got something to say to you. When Peter got to the house, by the way, Peter didn't go there with notes in a sermon. Peter walked in and said, you know, for what purpose have you sent for me? Peter didn't even know. He just walked in fresh. And that was best. for. That's really the best way to go in so you don't go in with preconceived. Peter just walks in and says, for what purpose? And so then Cornelius rehearses. Everything to him tells him I was praying at the third hour of the day and, and I had this angelic visitation. An angel visited me who, you know, worked for God. And this angel told me that God told him to tell me to send for you and told me where you would be and whose house you would be lodging in and that you would come and when you would come, you would tell us the words of life. 
And Peter says, I perceive that God is no respecter of person. And so Peter begins to talk. And when he got to that one sentence, and you can read it, it's fantastic. When he tells them that, 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 if, you know, that Jesus came, he said that he said the Jews, he says it in there, that Jews killed him. God didn't crucify him. The Jews killed him on the cross. And he said, in that, in that death, he has forgiven all men and, 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 and removed sin. And when he said that, the Holy Spirit just like, boom, I can't wait no more. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell upon all of them, just like it did at Jerusalem. God interrupted Peter's sermon. God's like, Phew. and then Peter's like freaking out. Whoa, man, these people are all, you know, having this relationship with, with Jesus, and we hadn't even got to the baptism service yet. And the Holy Spirit's doing things backwards. Now they're already praising Him, speaking in tongues and glorifying God. And we ain't even got them to no water yet. We got the Holy Spirit's doing this wrong. He's doing it backwards. And then they hurried and talked to Him about, you know, we got to get you to the river and so we can dunk you so it'll be official. You, you do know the thief on the cross that put his faith in Jesus, never made it to the river to get baptized. You do know that. You, you know he didn't say no sinner's prayer on there. Do you, 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 all he said was, remember me. That's all you got to say. <laughs> Just remember me. God said, I got you. I've been remembering you. And he says in the Bible, I engraved you with real nails on the palms of my hands before the foundation of the world. I've always remembered you. He said, you may forget me. A woman might even forget a nursing baby that's upon her breast, but I shall never forget you, for I have engraved you upon my own body. That's what God says. And it's an amazing thing. He hears about Jesus. So why, here's the question. Then why did, he, why did Cornelius need to hear about Jesus? Because for, in order for him to come into the fullness of his inheritance and to have that intimate, full relationship with Abba because Jesus said no man cometh unto the Father except by me. He's not saying anybody's not saved without me. He, I mean as far as knowing God, yet Cornelius is a classic example. Abraham, see Abraham knew God but Abraham never mentions Jesus. Yet when Jesus mentioned Abraham Jesus told those Jews who were hassling him, he said, before, he said, you claim to be Abraham's children. But before, he said, if you really was Abraham's children, you would know me because before Abraham was, I am. So even when Abraham knew God, he knew God through Jesus because Jesus is God. There is no knowing God without Jesus. But to come to the full inheritance of who, who God is, you look to Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. And, to, and, if you want to, and, and what you see is you see unfathomable love. And if you want to know what that love looks like in its clearest form, you look at the cross and the crucifixion. And you look what Jesus did. If God is just retributive, punishing, going to pour out judgment and wrath God, he, He's not good at it. If God's this wrathful, vengeful, uh, you know, retributary God that, 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 that most of the church preaches that He is, he, He's got horrible aim and terrible timing. If He's going to be vengeful and wrathful and pour out His wrath, I mean, could not God see Hitler, what He was up to? I mean, do we have to get like six to eight million Jews killed? What about just a million? Can't we intervene once we've got a million Jews killed? I mean, let's pour out some wrath then. Let's put a target on that dude's head. Apparently, God ain't good at what that, you know, all his vengeful wrath pouring out. Apparently, he, he, you know, he's not really good at it. I've seen some people, I tried to paint a bullseye for him on their head, and he still missed them. You know why? You know why Hitler could do what he did? Because God's not that God. He's not some wrathful, punitive, I'm going to get you God. Because if he was, he'd have blown that dude into pieces. But he didn't. 
And we don't like that. And we flat don't understand it. And if we did, we wouldn't like it. But that's not who Papa is. He's not a murderer. He's not a killer. He's not that. Anything you think you know, I've told you this all my life, that you know about God that you can't prove in Jesus, you at least got to call it into question. Because Jesus is the exact in a visible representation of the invisible God, Hebrews chapter 2. He's the exact. He's not close to God. Jesus is like God. God is like Jesus. There's no difference. That's not how I grew up understanding that church. It's not. And what I'm trying to say to you, and I hope it not to alarm you, but we can be like Peter, and I've met a bunch of people, and I've been that guy. I've been like Peter. I thought I knew the Lord's final authority on this subject. I know this is the way it is, and that's just the way it is, and that's how it is. And I come to shed off, and it's taken me decades. And I see now, I used to look at whole blocks of denominations. I've had preachers come to our church when I was, you know, I mean, when I was a grown man, come in there and preach us that the Pope was, was the Antichrist and every Catholic was going to hell. And we all cheered him on. How arrogant. And you don't even know that you came out of the Catholic Church if you're in a Protestant. <laughs> you, you don't know it, but you, you Google it and take some time and you'll see it. Catholic just means universal. And that's where you came from. Now it divided into two separate sects and this and that and everybody gets religion in there and throws their rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I want to say this. Well, I ain't got time to say that. I just looked up at the clock. But I want to tell you, maybe I get to do it Sunday. But you, women, women, nobody exemplifies the divine yes to the incarnation other than Mary. Her yes, Mary's called by many, and I'm not talking about Catholic Church, Mary's called uh, by many especially in, in orthodoxy, she's called the new Eve. In other words, Eve in Genesis said a no that resounded through humanity to the incarnation of Christ, so to speak. But Mary was, was given the opportunity, and it shows us God doesn't force himself on anybody. And she said yes. And I got a lot I want to say to you about women. But I, I found something this week, if you'll let me, and I'll, I promise y'all in with this. In fact, stand, stretch your legs, stand up. Let me get a swallow because this here is going. And this ain't me now. This is a church in Canada. Can I read something from a church in Canada? How many believe that people, that God wants every, it's not his will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance? And somewhere between that promise in desire of God, it says, at the end of this thing, every, in, in Philippi, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. People don't talk about that verse too much because it's just too big and grandiose. That means people that's already in heaven is going to uh, declare that. People that's alive on the earth are going to declare that. And people that's already dead are going to declare that. And they're going to all do it and confess him to the glory of God the Father. And if your vision of that is like it used to be when I was raised up in Pentecost, I thought they're going to be standing there with, uh, you know, with Michael the archangel with a spear on them. Bow! Confess Jesus as Lord. Is, you really think that's the nature of God? Is that how God does business? Does God force at the point of a sword people to confess Him as Savior? Does God coerce confessions and faith? And does He force that at the point of blood and sword? I don't know about your God. If that's your God, He's different than mine because that ain't Him. He would never do that. So how's that going to happen? I'll just leave that for you and God to figure it out. But God's pretty awesome. And all I tell you, all these scriptures, all that does for me, is it fills my heart with hope. What are you? Are you this or that? I ain't none of your labels. None of them. 
But in, as far as my hope, I am a hopeful inclusionist. Not an exclude out, but include. Does that mean, I, see, don't carry me there. I'm, God said it's not my will, any should perish. So I'm going to line up, and if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on that side. I'm not going to say, well, I'm in, you out, I'm better, you're not, I'm the judge, you ain't the judge, I've judged you out, I'm judged me in. People that always talk about in and out never start with the premise that they might be out. They always already in, and then everybody else that they don't like is out. You're going to be shocked when you get to heaven at who made it. And I hope God puts their mansion right by yours. <laughs> All right, listen to this. i got to quit. All right, this, there's a church in Canada called Meadowvale Church. Meadowvale Church. Now, my wife standing right there has heard me for all of my ministry off and on, and it's one of those things I should have just kept mouth shut about. Just one of them. I've got a lot of them on the list, but I've always said, and I've probably said it since I've been pastoring here, that some, I would love to have rented a full-page ad in the paper. I said it back when I pastored and started Cornerstone, and, and, and I said, I'd like to do it here. It takes a lot of money to buy a whole page of the newspaper. And I would like, and I've said this over now. You've heard me say, you know right what I'm supposed to say. And I, I, I want to say, welcome to Grace Point Church. And then I wanted to fill in, and I, I didn't want to have it in lines. I wanted to have, you know, some print turn this way and some turn that way. And I wanted the whole page to just list all kind of things, you know, that we're welcoming people to. I mean, to, to Grace Point. And it's always been something I just thought, well, boy, that'd be good to do that. I'd like just, just, you know, just do that. But I knew it would really bother religious people. I don't know if it make a lot of people show up here. And it might aggravate some people that actually go here. Because there's going to be people on that list that I would invite that maybe you don't like. Maybe you already you know, said they're out and you don't even want them around. And I wasn't even looking for this. And I came across this. And this is their real invitation. I don't know how they betray it, but it's, this is true. I'm just going to read it. We extend, this is Medvale Church in Canada, we extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, divorced, widowed, LGBTQ, confused, filthy rich, comfortable, or dirt poor. We extend a special welcome to wailing babies and excited toddlers. We welcome you whether you can sing like Paviate or just growl quietly to yourself. You're welcome here if you're just browsing, just woken up, or just got out of prison. We don't care if you're more Christian than the Archbishop of Canterbury, or haven't been to church since Christmas 10 years ago. We extend a special welcome to those who are over 60 but not grown up yet, and to teenagers who are growing up too fast. We welcome keep fit moms, football dads, Starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, vegetarian, junk food eaters. We welcome those who are in recovery or still addicted. We welcome you if you're having problems or down in the dumps or don't like organized religion. We offer a welcome to those who think that the earth is flat, work too hard, don't work at all, uh, can't spell, or are here because granny is visiting you and wanted to come to church. We welcome those who are uh, inked, pierced, both, or neither. We offer a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now, had a religion shoved down their throat as kids, have lived in Canada their whole lives, or just arrived here yesterday. We welcome pilgrims, tourists, seekers, doubters, and you. We welcome you to Medvale Church. <laughs> I, think that, I think that is absolutely awesome. I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I know I can push the envelope, buddy. But I think that just, I, I don't even take the vows times. But if I did, and if I don't, to have the whole full page, because if you, if, you if you got the whole page, people are going to just see what the whole page is about. And if it's a big book, welcome to Grace Point Church, where grace is the point. What a, and you throw all that in there and sprinkle it, add it, adjust it. 
Can you imagine religious people breaking out their bad off the times reading that page? <laughs> Do you know that they included LGBTQ in their welcome? <gasps> it's blasphemous. Those people are damned. I, Romans 1 says so. Really. You see how we go? Can you imagine that kind of thing going off here in Valdosta in the Bible buckle belt? That'll make them choke like on a rat sandwich, won't it? But what if you read that and really believed that that welcome was true? What if we really did feel that way? And we were not of our heart to exclude anybody. Now, by us inviting, we, we're not saying you agree with everything. All I don't agree with everything you do, and you don't agree with everything I do, and I love you. Because we're, see, we're not gathered here and held here by common belief of, of, of rules and regulations. Probably many of us in this room would be totally, we, we don't believe the same thing. And I'm okay with that. There's no sense in both of us being wrong. <laughs> I'm just, I'm teasing. I'm just teasing. I don't know if I, but, but I, you at least got to give me this. I believe it. And I sincerely believe And listen to me. And I told him Wednesday night in here, all my heart, and I'm so, I don't know how to say it more passionately. My heart, I'm just trying to be faithful. To the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all. I'm trying to be faithful to Him in the preaching of His gospel. I, I don't like being things coming back. I wish everybody loved me to pieces because I'm a real sweet person. But my heart, when I say these things, that goes against how I was raised and how I was taught and even how I preached for decades... But I can't deny that I've come into realize the Lord is so much better and bigger than I thought He was. He really is. And, and I have made the mistake of Peter. I have called people unclean that the Lord has cleansed, and I didn't know He had cleansed them. And I didn't believe He had cleansed them because they wasn't part of our group or they didn't say the right prayer. And I no longer believe that. And my heart now is to just tell them good news, you're loved, you're forgiven. Uh, God did all this for you while you were yet sinners, Romans 5. He chose you before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1. And I can go on and on and on. And you're in Christ, you just don't know it. And I just need you to wake up to the reality of how great He's loved you, what He's done on the cross for you. And, and, and once you realize how good He is and how much He loves you, how can you not follow a, a, a God like that? And, and that's, that, that, I'm telling you, that's my heart. And it's a tough mission because it's easier to, and I know pastors, and I'm not better than them, but, but I know, I, I mean, I've talked to pastors, okay, that said, I believe just like you, but I can't preach that in my church. I can't preach it. They'll cut my check, or they'll do this, they'll do that, or I'll lose this, or I'll lose that. Then I, once it gets to that day for me, I'm done. Because I can do a lot of preaching on YouTube. You know what I'm saying? But I'm trying to be faithful to the truth. We sung that song about the truth. How'd it go to mission? Y'all sung that first song about truth. And, but, what, but truth is not something you know about God. Truth is God. Jesus is truth. Truth is not what you know about him. It's true. Truth is Jesus himself. And so when I gather with my family, even my small circle, but especially bigger family, do you know we gather around? We don't all have the same beliefs. But we're not gathered at my house for Thanksgiving based on same beliefs. We're, we're gathered because we're family. Once you make, some people think that they don't, if they disagree with you, then they go and they get hooked up with people that agree like them. And then you know what you've done? You've done you can't even hold a small group together with that kind of deal. Because what you did, you just made agreement the condition for fellowship. And once you make, I have to agree with you, and you've got to agree with me, or we can't, you know, we, we can't do this thing. Then once you do that, that's going to be a small little group. Because you don't, you don't need, I sometimes I don't even agree with myself. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. I, I'm saying I don't, I, there was a time I went to my church cornerstone and I said, hey, all them cassettes y'all got, you know, y'all started recording the day I started here. And we've been going about five years. I said, I want y'all to throw all them cassettes away. It's my pastor. 
I said, they said, are you for real? I said, dump them in the back, in the dumpster. I said, because I no longer believe that. Okay, I understand that. You believed enough to preach it back then. I did, but I've grown since then. There's people you believe the world will flat, like they said, but it ain't flat now. I don't believe that no more. Burn that tape. Y'all okay? Cornelius is in. You believe Cornelius was in? Can I tell you that you're in? And all these people you're going to see around the road, they all in. They just don't know they're in. They're, and, and, and God loves them, and it's our privilege to tell them and to show them. And, buddy, when, to watch their heart and face to explode to that revelation like Paul's did when they, when they hear that good news. I mean, good news is really, it's some really good news. And, 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 and it's, it's better than we thought it was. Okay? What would you think about a welcome like that in the paper? Really? <laughs> Me and the elders may talk about that for real, y'all. Like y'all kind of excited. I just always wonder what kind of reaction that would get in the community. Some people like to keep a low profile. Do we really want people like that to come? Really? Do we want them to hear? And I told them Wednesday night, people say, well, I love the poor, Brother Dale. I love them because Jesus loved them. I said, give me some names. Name me some poor people you hang with. Did you hear what I said? I don't mean that as an indictment. But we say, I love, I love the poor because Jesus loves the poor, so I love the poor, Brother Dale. Name me a poor person that you hang out with, that you talk to, that you're friends with. Here, now this is a really stretchy now. Well, I love the LGBTQ whatever, P. I love, love, love those people. Do you, really, do you love them? I said, if you love those people, name me somebody that's like that that you're friends with. See, you love the idea of it. But if you love the people, then you're going to have to press in. Well, Brother Dale, do you, do you got a relationship with poor people? I sure do. I've got one that you know about. calls me at least once a week. And sometimes he gets aggravated because I can't do everything he wants me to do. But, and he is really poor. That's why we loaded up some men from here, and these precious men went over, and we mowed his yards, and we hooked him up to TV, and we carried him food because he's poor. And he's in my phone. He's in my contacts, and he's a friend of mine. He loves me as best he knows love, and I love him. And I, I, I intend to show Jesus to him, and I didn't try to convert him to my church or invite him, and he spoke to me about that, not me to him. There's people that are different in their lifestyle. Doesn't mean I approve of that lifestyle by no means, but I love the person, and I have a relationship with that person. And I have a person that's in that LGBTQ relationship. My wife, is no offense, I mean, my wife has a family member that lives in Denver. And, and he, he, he's, he's in that group. His dad will never have nothing to do with him. That's not an indictment of his dad. But I can't imagine that. I can't imagine love doing that. No, I don't agree with what you're doing. You know, you, harm, you can harm yourself and stuff and this and that and whatever you think. But, but I love you. I love you, son. And so he's been amazed that some of us would want to be friends with him on Facebook. Hey, we, we, we love you. We, you're, you're not like some I mean, demon. We, how are you going to help people if you don't love them? So there's a guy that, that's open. That, you know, you know he, he, he's, he's that way, and everybody knows him is that way. But I love that guy. He's been in my house, talked to him. I've never talked about his gayness. You know, I've never tried to jump on him. But I think my place is to show the love of God to him, and I believe the love of God will have more power to change his life or change than anything that I would ever say and try to throw out rules or verses at him like Spears, you know. And I really do like the guy. You know who I'm talking about. And we love him, don't we? We love that guy. And, and he had to get out of here, you know, go hang out and live in Atlanta because, you know, he can get away with it a little easier in Atlanta. You know, people around here are a little bit tougher on you. 
But the people I don't want to be tough on anybody is Christians. I don't want that to be named among us. And it's easy to talk about, a little bit tougher to live out. But I want to love everybody. I really do. And that doesn't mean, I don't know what you want to label me, and I'm not trying to be socially acceptable or liberal or conservative or Democrat, Republican. or no, I ain't trying to be none of that. I am trying with all my heart to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he hung out with all kinds of folks, and he called hell for it. And they said, he's hanging out with sinners, and we don't like it. Jesus, <laughs> he hung out with them. And I want to be that person, and I want to model that for you. I want to exemplify that in our church. I want to have a heart that really could put an ad in the paper. And then when those people come, they would feel that they were welcomed. And, and, and hey, we, we, hey, you got tattoos, hey. Hey, you, hey, your hair's green. Well, they just might have swam in a pool. I don't know. Or they could have died. I don't know. But, hey, welcome to Grace Point Church, where grace is the point. We're so glad you're here. And we're glad to have the opportunity to model and preach and declare and show forth the grace of God to you, for it was shown to us. And we're just simply trying to pay forward the grace that was given us in our lives. That sound like a church you'd like to be part of? That sound like a church you'll come back next Sunday and see you and give us another chance? <laughs> Heavenly Father, Abba, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this platform to preach the grace of God. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for Cornelius showing us that no matter who we are, Gentile or Jew, all that call on the name of the Lord, are saved. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Help us to exemplify the grace that you've shown to us, to others. Help us to pay forth and show the mercy to others that you have shown to us. Help us to see this world uh, through your eyes. Lord, you don't change, but Lord, you have permission, even if you don't need it, to change me. Lord, I believe the four-cornered sheet is coming down in this season particularly in the American church. Let us not call anyone unclean that you have cleansed. Open our eyes to see as you opened Peter's, and let us go forth and preach the gospel to all nations, to all people, to every tongue. Let us do it in how we live, how we talk, how we conduct ourselves, and how we treat people, even those that we don't agree with. Help us to show forth your great love and mercy to them. And may you change them, Father, for ever in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Hey, I'm going to